Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. The pressure of being a successful advisor has never been so apparent. Clients' expectations are evolving. Technology is coming at them from everywhere. There's a huge aging population, and the regulators are ramping up. Thankfully, to shed some light on these topics and more is Mike Watson, the head of RIA Custody at Axos Advisor Services. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to join you today. Can we please start with your journey to Axos Advisor Services? It's filled with a lot of good places and people that you gleaned from. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, As I think about my journey to Axos, honestly, there's some striking similarities to the other companies where I've worked. Um, I guess in a nutshell, you can say that I'm drawn to companies that are challenging the status quo and really opportunities that allow me to build solutions created out of uh, that disruption. Uh, You're right, I have been extremely fortunate to have worked at some great places and learned from some amazing people in our industry, which I will be forever grateful. Um, I began my financial services career in the mid 90s at a small discount brokerage firm in Southern California named Jack White & Company. Uh, Jack White was primarily a retail client-focused discount brokerage firm. Um, As you might recall, the deregulation of commissions in the 1970s really paved the way for discount brokerage firms like Jack White & Company. Uh, When I started working, the internet was just beginning to have mass adoption and trading was largely done over the phone. My, My first job, in fact, was taking service calls, writing up trade tickets, dropping them off at the wire room troubleshooting issues with a, a software trading application called Computer Path because people weren't even trading on, on the internet. I remember uh, one, of my, one of my tasks was to make copies of the trading software on three and a half inch floppy disks and mail them out to clients. And then I had to, to listen to modem sounds to try to help troubleshoot internet connectivity issues. Uh, it was definitely a fun first job. Um, after a couple of years of, of joining, Jack White was acquired by TD Waterhouse in 1998. And at the time of the Waterhouse acquisition, I moved into more of a a product management role and relocated back on the East Coast. The internet was going crazy and firms like Waterhouse needed to add more capability to their website. And in general, um, I was responsible for developing the firm's uh, mobile trading application. So in the late 90s, we were kind of ahead of the curve at that particular point. Uh, Also responsible for creating an online Dutch auction for clients that were participating in IPOs and adding some research tools to the website and developing the retail branch strategy uh, for for Waterhouse at that time. Um, And... Jack White also, so that with the acquisition, Jack White also had a small RIA custody business with about a billion dollars of assets. And just after the Waterhouse acquisition, they released a new, they being Jack White, had released a new online account management platform for RIAs called Veo. 
And that small RIA custody business and account management platform eventually became TD Ameritrade Institutional, which is where I spent the majority of my career. Uh, right after 9-11, I joined the institutional team. So I was living back east, and there was this gentleman by the name of Tom Bradley who had been working uh, really on the retail branches, and he was tapped to then lead the institutional business. And he was one of the, the many great people that I had the pleasure uh, to learn from. Um, my first order of business was visiting all the institutional clients. Tom was uh, maniacal about uh, uh, client obsession. And so he wanted me to get out there, know their business needs and bring that information back to our technology development group, um, which I did. And also got to realize that these RIAs were, were small business owners and they were struggling with a lot of the, the business issues that that small businesses deal with, practice management. So I went off to head up practice management uh, for, for TD at that particular point. And um, with that opportunity, I had a chance to meet all the incredible consultants and technology providers and, and vendors that are focused on the RIA industry. And there's so many talented companies in our industry doing amazing uh, things. Uh, in 2011, I joined LPL uh, to head their business consulting team, which is the, the sales relationship management team for LPL advisors. I learned a ton about brokerage products and was formally introduced to the RIA hybrid uh, model uh, at LPL. I returned back to, to TD in 2013 to lead the national strategic account sales team which works with some of the largest RIA firms in the country. And, and what we realized was that these very large RIA firms were probably more similar to TD Ameritrade in respect to the business issues that they were trying to solve uh, for their companies compared to, to other RIA firms around the country. So they, they really couldn't look to the other RIA firms to try to help them tackle the issues that they were having. And that's where we saw an opportunity to be able to, uh, to work much more closely with those large firms. After Schwab announced the acquisition of, of TD Ameritrade, uh, I realized it was a great time for me to, to start a new chapter of my professional career. Uh, and once I met with the team at Axos, I knew this is where I was supposed to be. Uh, the energy at Axos is infectious. It is really a, a neat place to, to work. Well, that's a fantastic journey for getting to you to where you are today. Let's get into some of the challenges advisors are facing today, one being questioning their value proposition. How do you see the best way for them to address this with their clients and their yeah, prospects? You know, yeah, value proposition is one of those areas where uh, we've been talking about it a long time. Yeah. Advisors can't, cannot be complacent. They, they must continue to iterate and refine their value proposition over time. And I find it most helpful for advisors to, to first break down how value is created so they can better understand the benefits that they create for clients. It's, it's sort of a formula, Doug. I mean, you think about value on one side, right? Well, value, what does that mean? It, it equals benefit, right, to the customer minus cost to the advisor. Right? So that's, that's really how value is created. Well, the, the client has to pay a price, so you have to subtract that from the benefit, and you have to add that price uh, to the cost for, for advisors. So you end up with 
this value really equals a net consumer benefit, which is that value proposition plus the net profit for, for the firm. So when you think of benefit, it's, it's all of the things that advisors do, yet most of the time, the value proposition is all about just the investment management that they offer. Yet advisors do so much more uh, than just provide investment management. So advisors must really remind their clients about all of the services that they provide. Are there measures an advisor can take to get out in front of this topic? maybe by showing, not telling clients the value they add? Yeah, great question. Um, I remember 20 years ago or so, it was all about planning services, right? So advisors were talking about doing more, uh, adding more services, and they started to uh, really offer more planning, doing financial plans, helping with retirement planning and college planning. Now we're seeing advisors look to all of the adjacencies of investment management, things like insurance, both health and life, uh, real estate, purchase decisions, refinance decisions, taxes. People are very concerned about taxes and they're looking to their advisors to help out and, and sort of guide them around making tax efficient decisions. Banking services are, are another. Um, as far as a tactical takeaway, let me give you a, a story. I, I recently stayed at a really nice hotel. This hotel had tons of amenities. Uh, but I had no idea that these amenities were included in the cost of my hotel room. So I go to the hotel and check in and, and go to the room and the hotel left a card in the room reminding me of all the services that were included. Access to free bicycles, nightly s'mores around a campfire, free laundry service, shoe shine service. I mean, you name it, the list was really extensive, but I had no idea and would not have taken advantage of any of these services had the hotel not continued to remind me. So not only was there a card when I came into the room, I turned on the TV and there's information about all of these great services. So let's think about advisors. They need to do the same thing. Use your newsletters, use those client meetings. You have a web page, you have social media posts, constantly remind your clients of all the things that you're doing for them. And oh, by the way, this is also a great marketing tool for you to be able to, to get prospective uh, clients as well. It's important that advisors just find ways in every one of those interactions to just remind clients of all the great things that they're doing for them. That's a super idea. Uh, technology, the digital evolution is a huge topic. Our kids are way better than us on our phones and computers. This industry always is behind or seems to be behind most every other industry. What's the best way for an advisor to navigate through what's out there, make smart choices for their firm and their clients, knowing where the future lies? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, technology is a, is a great enabler uh, of efficiency. It helps advisors with, uh, to automate workflows. It's certainly being used in, in communication with, with clients. Uh, I haven't uh, personally used any of these you know, virtual reality tools that are out there, but I'll tell you, my kids spend uh, most of their life living in a virtual reality, it seems. Uh, as far as advisors, I would say continue to look to some of your partners to help navigate the technology space. Um, there are, I'd look to your custodian. I, I would also just look to some of the technology providers that, that are out there. There are some great companies out there. Again, I feel like there's so many choices now that it becomes overwhelming for advisors to be able to, to navigate that. 
So having a, an industry resource to be able to, to turn to and help guide them. And the custodians do a really good job of, of doing this. Um, so I'd say start there, have a conversation with some of your business partners, understand the technology that's out there, uh, understand how it's gonna bring efficiency to, to your office. And that the thing when it comes to technology, you really have to have a long view, which makes it difficult right now because there's so much change taking place with technology. Uh, but advisors have to take a bit of a longer view. Don't just look at your business today and how it operates, but really think of that big, hairy, audacious goal that you have for your business and make sure that you have the right providers, the right, uh, the right tools that are going to help you get to where you want to be. Because once you're locked into a certain technology suite, it becomes really difficult to, to make any sort of changes. Speaking of the long view, do you think the next generation will opt in for more digital than in-person, more robo than human brain? You know, Doug, I don't know if it's necessarily next generation. It's sort of, I think the pandemic will have, uh, will play a large role in what those interactions look like. And it, I, I liken it back to when I was talking about uh, developing wireless trading applications for, for, for TD back in the late 90s. Well, we didn't have mass adoption of, of technology, of trading applications and people using wireless trading applications until, you know, the mid 2000s. So why did it, why did it take so long? Well, it became a behavioral change. You know, something had to happen. All of those applications that were, it required a, a phone and a calendar and all these things became embedded into this sort of uh, this telephone, this device that you were able to carry. Well, I think the pandemic has had a change in how people are interacting with one another. People are getting more comfortable uh, leveraging technology to do interactions over video. So I think the key for advisors is to have the, fex the flexibility to be able to execute both in-person and digital. I think it's still going to be a balanced diet of, of both. Um, it's going to be about curating meaningful interactions with clients, regardless of whether that interaction is in person or using technology. So I do think that the types of meetings that take place over technology uh, today, everyone's quite comfortable with it being, you know, uh, less formal. But I do think that if that becomes really embedded into the processes that you're going to see that become a little bit more formalized and the interactions are gonna be a bit more, more, more meaningful there. But I do think it's, it's still gonna be a balanced diet of, of in-person and, and technology. Um, this is a relationship business that, that we work in and the, you can try to develop relationships using technology, but at the end of the day, I, I still believe people wanna be sitting across the table, eyeballs to eyeballs uh, with someone to make sure that they're they're really in, in the best hands and uh, that this person has their financial freedom uh, top of mind and is doing everything that they can to, to enable uh, this client to be able to achieve uh, their long-term goals. We've been hearing the great wave of generational wealth transfer for several years now. Where is it? I'm waiting. Yeah, you and I both. Well, people are living longer. And I, I just don't know if it's going to come the way people are expecting it to come. Um, it's similar to this great wave of, of secession planning. Um, advisors are, are living longer. Uh, they're maintaining their businesses. 
yeah, sure, some some are are selling, and there's a transfer that's taking place within the RIA uh, industry for sure, uh, but not as widespread as I think people had expected. Uh, and there's some similarities in just the, this generational wealth transfer. Uh, people are living longer lives, and um, and therefore there isn't. It's not happening all at once. I think it's happening a bit more more slowly, um, and I just don't see this great wealth transfer all of a sudden wake up and there's going to be trillions of dollars handed off to the next generation. Uh, I, I just don't see it. Let's move on. Regulation. Always a word that everyone agrees needs to be implemented and enforced, but no one wants to spend the time or resources on compliance. What's that landscape moving forward? You know, regulation, risk management, uh, compliance, all of this stuff is extremely important. Uh, cybersecurity, you know, on the risk side is a threat that advisors better start paying attention to. There are lots of bad actors and every single day they're trying to compromise uh, firms. And so we all have to really work together and make sure that we're focused on protecting uh, the clients. The regulatory environment uh, is something that advisors have to continue to stay out in front of. Uh, you have to spend resources on this. And, uh, and it's, it's extremely important. And the firms that make compliance a priority and risk management a priority, there's a direct correlation to those firms and being able to, to grow. Um, if you don't take care of protecting the, the house, then you're in, you know, uh, you have to build a really strong foundation. And that foundation is largely compliance. Has the industry done a good job reminding itself why we're all here, which is the end investor? It seems to me the focus is often elsewhere. It does seem that way. And, and I was having a conversation with a colleague just, just the other day uh, about this, uh, actually earlier this week. Um, it does seem that we have lost our way a little bit. Um, the the industry has not done a good job of, of thinking about the end advisor. I know advisors themselves are, are focused on, on end investors, but the organizations that support advisors and our industry needs to do a better job. I, I think there's a lot more transparency uh, for, for end advisors or end investors, which is, which is a great thing. Um, but we really need to make sure that we continue to, uh, to focus on, on end investors. I'm going to leave you with this one. You could be working a lot of places in this industry with your background. So you touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know, let's go into it a little bit more. Why Axos and why, what do you feel is your opportunity in this space? Well, why Axos? Uh, and I mentioned this before about the similarities when I joined Jack White and Company. I joined Jack White because they were disrupting the the industry. Uh, I was really interested in working for a company that was focused on end investors, that was trying to do the, the right thing and bringing low cost solutions to to end investors. And then they were acquired by TD Ameritrade Institutional, or by it was Waterhouse actually at the time. And uh, we were disrupting the, the RIA industry. We weren't the biggest, but we were certainly the, the scrappiest. We were looking to uh, make technology available, uh, open architecture, but it was really about being client-focused, listening, listening to clients. And it's the same with, with, with Axos. I think there's a, 
a, an enormous opportunity within the RIA industry. Uh, there's tremendous pressure on RIAs to continue to add more services or discount their, their fees. And those services are all those adjacencies to investment management, which, uh, which Axos is a, uh, can certainly deliver on, on many of those. But Axos is also a, a digital bank. So they've disrupted the banking industry. And I think this is what the RIA industry needs. It's, it's a firm that uses technology in a way to create efficiencies. So we can focus on those more, the more valuable types of interactions that we have, whether they be with our clients or our employees. So I'm thrilled to have an opportunity to be at Axos. Uh, our industry needs it. There are two thirds of of the retail RIAs that, that are around the country uh, have less than, than $100 million. And when you go up to uh, $500 million, it's like seven eighths of the RIAs in our industry have less than that amount of assets. And if you look at the incumbents within the RIA industry, most of them are focused on, on the larger firms. And sure, they may take smaller RIAs, but we're gonna be focused on, on enabling firms of all sizes to be able to achieve their, their business goals. And we think that there's a really tremendous opportunity in our space for, for firms that have less than $500 million. Mike, this has been fabulous. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everyone at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team. This is Doug Heikinen.